Hello, you're listening to Abiding Life Studios. I'm Noah Wells. Today, I have on the phone Betty Wells. Hello there. Hello. And I also, on the phone, I have Steve Reinhardt. Hi, Noah. Hi, Betty. Great to be with you guys. Yes. Yes, it is. And we we just got done doing a podcast with Steve um, talking about his India trip. Um, he just got done talking about Nepal, and I believe he wants to talk a little bit more about other parts in India he went and visited. Yeah, thank you, Noah, and I, I'd really love to um, highlight some uh, work and the friends that we have there in South India, uh, Paul and Usha Silveraj and their family. They've got two daughters and a son, Jemmy and Jasmine, and uh, John and their grandkids, and they have two wonderful son-in-laws, uh, Franklin and Ebby. Uh, and uh, we've known them for a long time. I met them through Alex Matthew, and have been there in their home, and um, they've taken really great care of us, and then all sorts of conferences, and uh, they've moved from uh, Polony, which is a place where there's a famous temple there are a lot of pilgrimages to to a place called Coimbatore which is more of an industrial college town in South India Uh, so Betty knows them well and has been I think instrumental in their daughter's weddings and their family getting to know their family and being there over the years right Betty? Right I love them very much and um, I think they're probably still, in some ways, supported by Abiding Life Ministries. And, yes. Um, and they are, uh, my description of them both is they are gifted evangelists, and uh, they are have a huge heart for seeing people come to Christ and find Him to be their all. And they're highly passionate about evangelism. And and yet, at the same time, they've gone through some real upheavals in their lives with uh, Paul's health. A few years back, I think it was um, right around the time Mike passed away, um, Paul was in a motorcycle accident right in front of his house. Uh, his best friend hit him with a truck. Oh, they were man. moving into this house, and yeah, it was. Uh, and in front of most of the buildings uh, over there, then it's changing a little bit. There was raw sewage running in front of the homes, and his friend hit him with his with his truck, and he was on a motorcycle, and shoved his um, Paul and the bike into this ditch. Uh, with raw sewage running in it, and Paul was pinned there uh, with the motorcycle, and the tire, the rear tire, uh, still had power to it, and it was spinning, and it was uh, pressed up against Paul's ankle. Oh, man. Yeah, and so as that tire spun uh, underneath the sewage, it was um, wearing away, just eating away the skin and tissue and muscle and tendons of his ankle Mm -hmm. and uh, finally his wife Usha ran out and grabbed the motorcycle 
and pulled it off of him. Uh, otherwise, I'm sure he would have that would have just eaten all the way through his bone. And uh, yeah. so he was there in the hospital when I went to see him, and uh, was um, it's you know it's a whole different world over there. She had to come in and bring him meals and clean the bathroom and. Uh, and so he recovered. They did skin grafts and bones things and helped his immune system, but he's in the hospital there, um, a, a wonderful Christian hospital that was built there for the poor in Odenchantram, uh, that a lot of the uh, Christian physicians go and do their work as they're learning to become physicians and uh, just amazing place with amazing group of doctors and people and staff there. And uh, so he, he was he was there for several months, and, and went through lots of different surgeries, and came out of that able to get around and walk and ride a motorbike and everything. But uh, about a year and a half ago, something, and I don't know if it was a uh, um, something that had happened to him that he wasn't aware of, or a side effect of the treatments, or or of that um, incident on the motorbike happened, but something happened with his nerves, and he uh, became a paraplegic and couldn't walk. His legs just quit working. Uh, so over the last year and a half, and, th- and for a guy that's super energetic and uh, highly motivated to get out and be with people, he's be, he was bedridden for most of a year and a half. Um, and uh and developed bed sores and couldn't walk and and through this period he had his ups and downs um if you get to see his facebook page or find him on facebook or whatsapp he's a really pretty good communicator and tells tells you how he's feeling and how he's doing and uh, it's exciting to see him be so honest and genuine kind of like you noah to be able to see how he's walking with the Lord in some really incredibly difficult circumstances for a guy who's loves being with people and loves being out um, uh, and talking with people and there for people and, and, and not being able to get out of bed or, um, you know, he, cause he, he couldn't go to the bathroom. So he was, wearing diapers for a while and that got to be too expensive and uh, anyway it was a difficult time for he and and still is his wife Usha and their kids um, so so I don't want to go on rambling any um, thing Betty you want to add about the Silverage family well they do love each other very much, and I love to see them being together um, the way they are. But that is all cultural in India, that the daughters' husbands would be off working elsewhere. And the daughters, normally, in the Hindu families, the daughters would be moving back to their in-laws' house. They would belong to the in-laws, but... And that's the way it is in the Christian family, too. Oh, but the daughters got to come home to their own parents in this mm. situation. 
And part of that's because of the coronavirus. Jemmy and her kids have moved home with her parents. Um, in Jasmine, and this is a cultural thing, is Jasmine's expecting a baby in September, I think, and that is the woman's of the marriage. It's her, par- it's her parents' responsibility to take care of her and pay for the expenses of her having a baby. And oh. so that's why she is home with Paul and Usha, aside from the fact that I think she, you know, prefer to be there. Uh, she was pretty lonely living with her, uh, her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law was taking care of uh, her husband, Franklin's dad, who had had a stroke. Okay. So she was really lonely and, um, but but Paul mentioned to me the other day that it's their responsibility to pay for Jasmine having a baby and taking care of her health until the baby comes. And then I think she'll move back with her in-laws. Okay. And Jasmine works as a... She always wanted to be an English teacher, but somehow she met her doctor husband. Was she working as a nurse? No, I think she was working as a teacher... Uh, before she moved back, I'm not exactly sure about that. She did. She's done a lot of tu- They call it tuition, which is tutoring people. Uh, so I think that's what she was doing before she got married. And she'll probably, um, you know, they have a different culture than we do. Uh, Usha like doesn't go to the office to help Paul up and down the stairs. Paul, you know, Paul's now. And within the last couple months, has started walking with a walker, uh, which is great for him. He hasn't been able to do that for a year and a half. Uh, so, but his office is on the second story, and so he has to climb 30 steps up with a walker Ooh. and to get into his office. And it takes him about half an hour to climb those steps. Oh uh, man! And uh, yeah, so uh, Usha. Uh, and the whole family came with us when we would when we did that. And but you know, the cultural thing is that she's supposed to be taking care of Jasmine, mm-hmm. who's I think twenty five or twenty six now probably, and still has a long way to go till her baby's born. Uh, you know, so my normal question is like, well. You know, I have people that work out in the fields until their baby's born. What's Jasmine need to taken care of for? But uh, in their culture, in their family, Jasmine needs to be taken care of. When we were there, Jasmine was taking care of us and take us around shopping and everything. So, but uh, in their family culture, uh, Usha's supposed to be taking care of Jasmine, and uh, that's as it should be. So Paul's trying to figure out a way now to bring in more income to the family because they have added expenses of their two daughters and grandkids and um he's he's never been about making money uh, but he's feeling uh, the pressure like probably the rest of us um of having more expenses and less income income sure. yeah. and where is john this he looks like a strapping Young son, he, not young. He, he's in his twenties. He is. He's just applied. I'll have to send you a picture of him. He's um, applied to, and I think he uh, took the test to be a like a first responder 
either in the army or the firefighter or a medic there in Quimbator. Uh, and so he's he was excited about passing that test and uh, he lives there too with the, in the, with them in their their home. Okay. And he doesn't have an income just yet. And he does not have an income either. Okay. And and, uh, and education, you know, they're everything's uh, education super important for, so for him to be able to he's not really a book guy, uh but he's like really strong and big and uh it's got a really nice uh warm spirit about him. It's really nice for him to have this opportunity now to be a first responder or firefighter. Yes, that's great. Yeah, and he I think it'd be, you know, really an area where he's gifted at. Yes. And the Lord's calling him there it seems like. So that's just excellent. But I had one more yeah. question about the move from Polony to Combature. Is it since Polony was such a Hindu meeting place, such a Hindu important place. Is it easier for Paul and Usha to evangelize in Combature, or is it same-o, same-o, you think? Um, you know, I don't know if it's easier or not. I think probably wherever they go, it's easy for them. They are such natural, gifted yes. evangelists. I, I think it's uh, easy for them, you know. And I may mean, first remember meeting Paul uh, with Mike and Paul and he, We were sitting. Paul had a tea shop, and it was on the route to uh, the temple that people made the pilgrimage to, and they would walk and clear across India uh, to make these pilgrimages. And and he had a tea shop open for them. And uh, one of the things that he, he did, he just would be there, and they could pray with him or have tea or either or, or both or just but he was uh, just uh, being himself being light in that place and i remember mike asking him he the people would come to christ there while they were walking to the temple and then they'd come back and come back and come back and they'd come back with a little a dot on their head their forehead that they'd gone to the temple that day and mike asked him he goes well like how come you don't educate these christians about uh, you know, go into the temple that they don't need to go to the temple, but they keep showing up with the mm, tikka, the sandalwood paste rubbed in their hair, the top of their forehead. And uh, we, and my, Mike and I both loved his answer, which was something like, uh, the, "Well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to tell them not to do that because then they'd just be doing that to please me, uh, or to do another ritual. What I want is that when they show up and they don't have that." I know that they've they realize that Christ is really all they need. They don't have to keep going to the temple. Uh and it yeah. was just that same freedom that you were talking about in our last podcast Betty was uh, so evident with Paul there at the temple. And I and I kind of didn't answer your question. So I don't think that's I think Coimbatore there's lots of churches and in a sense that uh, Paul doesn't really fit into that no. model. He's not a he's not a pastor. He's um, the people that I've met in the Christian community uh, in all of South India. Paul has a reputation of being a, an, an evangelist and a loving, a caring person. 
but he doesn't fit in because he's not a pastor. He's not a uh, ordained minister. He's self-educated, uh, really smart and uh, spiritual man of God, but he doesn't fit into the typical mold that we think of in terms of church. And and that's kind of disappointing to me uh, because he's uh, he has so much to offer and yet he's not really accepted into the Christian community other than they they recognize uh, his giftedness uh, but really don't want to ho- and like invite him in to teach or anything like that. Well, it doesn't disappoint me because the first will be last and his reward is coming. And actually, it's better that they don't embrace him in the church since his gifting is evangelism. He needs to be out with the people who aren't being churched. Right, right. And then that is uh, who he's with. I love the way he came to the Lord completely broken and at the bottom and suicidal. And he's just so alive in Christ. What first attracted me to him, because I met him on a trip before I ever met his family, and he just has the most infectious smile. He is a warm and and attracting person. Mm, He really is. Yeah, he really is. So it'd be, uh, I think he's, you know, his English is really good, uh, but you really have to concentrate or, uh, to, uh, for me, uh, to, or, or we could have him on a podcast, but I think it'd be, we might be the only ones understanding him because uh, his English, he speaks really fast too. So uh, that, that is, uh, I suppose you I, could I, I have to ask him to, I could, yeah, he could, <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> In the sense that you could just repeat what he had just mm. said without making a big deal out of it. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's yeah, a great that's idea. But from there you went to visit Alex Matthew, right? Right, right. So we so we were in Coimbatore for three or four days with uh, Paul and his family, and then we um, drove down to south of there to Kochi, where Alex Matthew lives in Grace, and um, we're able to stay with them. And they are, I think Alex is 87, and Grace is just uh, maybe, she might be a little bit older than him uh, by a few months. Um, and uh, it's always great to see them. And it was fun for Josh to meet all these people and have different experience of them than I had. And so one of the things that and we would talk every night and every morning uh, about people we'd met and our experience with them. And one of the things that Josh had mentioned uh, after meeting Alex was, uh, you know, has he always been that affectionate? Hmm. Uh, and uh, as far as I know, he has been with me. He's oh, been, absolutely. Uh, I remember yeah, in too. the very early days when he would come to the men's retreats, and he always had his hands on the fellows. He's just mm-hmm. like a little ball of love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So that was, um, uh, you know, and he's like the first person I met that was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Yes. And uh, I, like, never heard of it until he had it. And then, uh, uh, so I joked with him, like, I'm following in your footsteps. 
uh, you know, really, you're you're my uh, kind of my guru. I'm following you just like, but I didn't mean to follow you this close. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was the trailblazer. That we got to give him credit for that. <laughs> He's definitely the trailblazer. So uh, one of the one of the um, I wanted to be there. I, I had the. Uh, Oh, I don't know what the, what you would call it. Just a, I was compelled to be in Indian South Indian, be with Paul and his family and Ashok, and and then to be with Alex. I just felt a, a compulsion, uh, like I uh, was something I just was going to do. I had to do it. I wanted to do it. It was uh, in me, and uh, and I think Alex was a little bit shocked to see me because I uh, had this neck brace on that. Uh, because I'm missing half of my neck bone, and uh, he was shocked to see me. And when we saw each other, uh, I was a little bit awkward. And um, and uh, you know, Alex is a great teacher, and uh, it was and it was a great experience. He's you know he I think he kind of jumped into what his normal role is. He instantly started teaching me, and I had a split and headache at the moment. And then he had to run back downstairs, and I had to go use the bathroom. We, so when he came back in the room, our hotel room, uh, he came in the room, and uh, we just fell into each other's arms. <laughs> and we just both started crying. Wow. And, uh, I've done been, that before when Alex showed up. Mm-hmm. Just hold him and sob. Yeah. He, He's just that caring. <laughs> he is. And that was, I think, what we both needed at that moment, to just uh, sense the Lord loving us uh, through each other. Because he knew. Uh, I, came to, uh, I came to India. I went to South India to love him and uh, to express uh, my love of Christ's love for him. And, and, and I was experiencing that. Back to, and so we just held each other for a while, and we sat down on the bed and uh, held each other and wept and yacked and wept and yacked and wept mm-hmm. for, um, for the better part of an hour. Uh, it was mm-hmm. just a wonderful time. Wow, sounds beautiful. Yeah, it was uh, really, I think, an uh, incredible experience for both of us too. Mm-hmm. Uh, love one another in that way, uh, and uh, and uh, you know I'm not sure how that comes across to our listeners, uh, but I think that uh, you know if you were to get to meet Noah or Alex or me or Betty, uh, we might have that same experience of oneness and loving one another um, yeah. and closeness, which is what's so exciting for me to experience the body of Christ, uh, especially at this time, and that it's and that it's real, that we mm-hmm. do care for one another in a way that's supernatural, yeah, and divine. So that was a that was a really important part for me, um, and I got to meet more people that had been praying for me and. Um, I, and I guess one of the memorable times, 
you know, the church in South India is so different than it is here. One of the, sadly, one of the reasons people go to church there is to have a place to be buried. That is very important to them to have a place to be buried. And, um, and the religion kind of, is quite strong in the churches. Yeah. The religion in the sense of the form and the robes and the hierarchy, mm-hmm. that type of thing. It's it's more of a, well, not strict religion, but there is plenty of religion in the church. Yeah, and a lot of tradition. Uh, yes. And, the, and a lot of, um, I can't remember, did you say power? But there's a really strong power structure. And, mm-hmm. um, and to... Uh, to to get as one one of the brothers goes one of the he said that's the biggest racket the church has, uh, which is to keep people coming, because they'll won't have a place to be buried or they'll um, in in some people's cases if one person's doesn't get buried at that church then the other person is not necessarily excommunicated but they're not taken care of they're kind of shunned, and so you wouldn't want to be. You know, you want to be buried where you're going to church. In other words, your spouse would be shunned and not have the closeness and support they would you would think that you would have here. So that was kind of awkward for me uh, to go to that church that I've gone to lots of times and had a chance to speak at, and Mike's spoken there, uh, to have that going on. Is that Alex and Grace are in their older years there, you know that's one of the things that's important to them is uh, to be where where their bones will be laid. Um, and I know that probably sounds a little awkward and weird to us, but it's it's really really important uh, to them for several different reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, uh, the support of uh, of each other, I think, is a is a big one. Uh, so this is just just a different culture. And but as I was coming out of that church, Alex went back and. And talked to one of the young pastors there, the evangelist, and said that we had guests, and Josh and I stood up, and they introduced us and uh, were praying for us. But one of the things that was super meaningful to me is as we were leaving and walking down the steps of the, they were in a rented space, uh, they, uh, a young a young girl named uh, Raquel, uh, Rochelle came up to me, and she, I'm guessing she's maybe 13, I don't know. I'm just taking a wild guess. But she came up and she held out her hand to me and just said, I want, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Hmm. I'm, I am praying for you. And uh, that was something like just um, was so meaningful that something went between us that she was really uh, caring and uh, and made that out of, out of anybody else that was in that meeting, she's the one that came up and walked up to me to say that. It was really meaningful to me. That is one of the cultural things in India that I do appreciate, that respect for elders is just written into the culture, and that doesn't surprise me at all to find that degree of maturity in a younger person to come Mm. up and approach you and say that. Mm, yeah, it was really a, a, a beautiful thing, I mean, a, a wonderful experience. So, and I think that's 
uh, in my, you know, I kind of feel like I'm unlearning lots of stuff, but that would be like one of the things like for our listeners, if you're maybe a younger person or an older person to uh, not assume people that we each of us know uh, what other people are doing and thinking, but to, especially in these times, to express it to one another, to tell people how you feel about them, to tell people that you love them and you you like them or you're struggling with them or uh, you're praying for them or you care about them. I think that's a good time for all of us to really not assume that people actually know that because that was a, you know, I could have kind of assumed people might be praying, but to have that young person come up to me and just, uh, and no one else did. None of the old people did. None of the other young people did just for, uh, was a, a really meaningful thing to me. And so I would encourage us all to follow her lead, you know, follow her example and, and talk to each other, communicate those important things to one another. That's a great point. Yeah, that is. Well, Steve, do you have anything else to add or mom or sorry, Betty, do you have anything to add to what we've been talking about? No. Did we cover the health of Grace and Alex, they seem to be getting along pretty well. I know they keep having this malady or that pop up, but generally speaking, Alex still seems to stay very busy with his commitments, and they seem to be doing pretty well. Yeah, I think they have health problems, Um, like people in their late 70s, mid to late 70s do, and, you know, he survived open-heart surgery. He survived uh, multiple myeloma. He's got um, bone problems and hip hip and walking are difficult for him, Uh, except for some reason he walked all over the place with us about (laughs) wore us out uh, when we were in Kochi and went to uh, places that I've never been before because he was being hospitable with Josh showing us around different places. And uh, so... That was really that was really great, and um, and Grace has asthma and uh, struggles. She, you know, Alex described her as kind of shuffling when she walks. She looked like she's always walked to me. Looks like she's doing well, but there, you know, it's. Um, <clears throat> I guess we could pray uh, for their their health and their comfort, uh, not sleeping sometimes and. And just the normal stuff we kind of all do as we get older, uh, mm-hmm. but they have you know they have a great attitude, and uh, Alex is always I, I like it when I find out the human side of him where he struggles with uh, you know someone being angry with someone or uh, mm-hmm. you know has uh, his wife's angry with him so like like sometimes Barb's angry with me it's kind of nice it's like oh he's he's like me and yet he walks with the Lord in the middle of it so it's always nice for me to find the real man of God and the really man with of with clay feet uh, walking in the same person. It's really neat. Right, so, and guess, Grace and Alex both do have a wonderful faith and mm-hmm. the outworking of it, yes. Great. Yeah, and they have great kids that uh, look after them and love them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it's, they're... They're sure. If you, I know, they're not taking visitors now. In the time past, they had a, 
Uh, Mike and Abiding Life built a training center up on the roof of their house, and that's still there. But it's uh, Alex does counseling up there. It's it's mostly not used now because of their health, and uh, they were hoping to rent it out to someone, but that is not happening yet. Um, and so South India has changed. The the whole neighborhood the, around their home has been kind of demolished, and now there's shops right next door, a four-story building right next wow. door to their home. So, yeah, it's just completely different. I guess that makes it different. handy for, for shopping. They don't have to drive. <laughs> yeah, they bought security cameras, and there's there's two grocery stores within walking distance in a hotel we stayed at was just uh, you know about a block away uh, so that whole area is different uh, <laughs> it's just hard to imagine it is so anyway Noah do you have any comments or and we kind of uh, kind of feel bad that uh, you haven't been yakking much <laughs> don't feel bad it's uh, I like hearing all the stories and there's always other podcasts I can do so it's 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 great. Um, I just wanted to say I'm glad you went out. Were you know had the opportunity to go out there and um, were able to come home um, before all this uh, virus stuff started really stopping travel. So I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're home with your wife, and um, I'm glad you know. I'm really glad that uh, the Lord's made it possible for us to do these podcasts still when we're not together. I mean, it's it's a really cool time we're in. Yeah, it so, is. Amen. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, just anyone who's listening, just keep walking with the Lord. Keep talking to him. He's got this. And we're all here. We're all in the same boat. We're all, we're all uh, hanging out. We're all together. We're all... Like Steve mm. said, we're all together in spirit, so it's it's nice to know you're not alone. That's so true. And uh, Barb and I were talking about uh, feeling alone today, and uh, you know I think that's uh, that would be like I'd love to do a podcast on feeling alone or lonely. Uh, yeah, let's I, do it. I, I, I think that would be really something important to do. I, I, and uh, we could like take off right. I remember talking to a young boy in Polony, and his dad had been taking him to uh, psychiatrist to, because he was feeling lonely, uh, super lonely. And uh, anyway, we had. I think that'd be really important topic for us to talk about in these days. Yeah, I agree. So we'll plan on that next time. Thanks again, right. Steve, for sharing your stories on traveling and. Uh, letting us know how everybody's doing down that way. And thank you, Betty, for adding your two cents, like always. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both, and thanks, Steve, for the trip report. That's great. We so well, appreciate it. Yes. Well, I've, I feel so grateful to be uh, part of your guys' lives in Abiding Life Ministries over the years, and uh, through you guys and Mike and all the supporters have had the opportunity to connect with these wonderful brothers and sisters across the world. And uh, so it's one of those things where I wouldn't have had this wonderful experience without you guys. And I'm just grateful for each of you and uh, the the beauty of the Lord in you guys. I get get to experience through you. 
Yes. Yes, we yeah. don't want to get started on the things we're all grateful for because we'd just be here for another eight hours or so. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or eternity. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but God is so good. Yes, yes, he is. All right, love you guys. Love uh, you. Love the, listener, love the listeners. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll do another one very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Noah. Thank you.